Paul Delaney is our AM640 expert in astronomy and space exploration, and he's a member of the Faculty of Science at York University. And also, I would like to call you, Paul, a friend of the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on the program. So thanks for being here again. Thank you very much indeed, Kelly. It's always nice to be with you. I want to talk about junk, space junk. Uh, you know, we saw Elon Musk send a, um, a Tesla up into space <laughs> with Rocket Man. It's just kind of uh, orbiting uh, the Earth now. Uh, it's, I guess, uh, very expensive space junk. But apparently we're quite threatened by this space junk that's out there. Give us an idea of roughly uh, how much space junk is just floating around, some man-made debris out there in space right now. Well, a couple of things. Uh, Starman actually is on his way out to Mars orbit. It's actually not orbiting Earth. It's in a solar orbit. Okay. So you're not going to run across his vehicle in orbit. But in terms of the stuff that is in orbit, uh, depending on what the, the threshold of size is that you want to consider, it's tens of thousands or literally hundreds of thousands of pieces that are big enough that you and I could see easily. So a few centimeters in diameter. If you want to go down to millimeters, the number jumps into the millions of pieces. So there's a staggering amount of stuff in orbit around us. Some of it, of course, is very helpful, very useful. Those are the GPS satellites, the telecommunications, the weather satellites. But that number of active satellites only numbers in the few thousands. So if you're thinking in terms of how much is the good stuff is up there versus how much of the stuff in general, it's a very tiny fraction these days, I'm afraid. When you talk about uh, the good stuff and separate it from the bad stuff, what are we talking about as far as bad stuff goes? Is it uh, defunct satellites now and things that we just have no more use for? Or? Well, it's defunct satellites, satellites that have run out of uh, their useful lifetime. Their, their onboard computer systems have either failed or their attitude control gas has failed. But there's a lot of stuff that is left behind from putting those satellites in orbit. So the upper stages of rockets, so the second stage, if you will, of most modern vehicles that puts a satellite in geostationary orbit, the rest of it stays in low Earth orbit. Uh, the Iridium satellites, just to pick on one particular group, uh, is what allows cell phone communication. Well, they're about to change their entire fleet over, and I think there's something like 100 of those satellites in orbit. They're replacing them with 100 new ones. Uh, so there is that type of rollover. And then there is the debris which has been created by smash-ups, shall I say. Uh, the most notable one being uh, a Chinese satellite. Well, it wasn't a satellite. It was an upper stage of a uh, Chinese booster that they literally blew apart just to examine the way space debris works into Earth orbit. Eh, not a real good experiment, in my opinion. But that created But it like blew up real good, I hear. 3,000 pieces or thereabouts. Right. Okay? And any of these pieces can be potentially problematic. So there's a lot of stuff up there that you and I have to be careful of. Okay, so why is it problematic? What could potentially occur? Well, I mean, you know, the, the most benign is that it hits, say, a, a cell phone communication satellite and it just disrupts hundreds if not thousands of people's cell phone communications. Uh, a piece of debris is moving in orbit at, generally speaking, 7, 8, 9, 10 kilometers a second. And while most of the stuff is orbiting in the same direction, so their relative speeds are not too great, there are satellites that are orbiting what we call in a polar orbit, and they are moving tangentially to a lot of the other satellites that are moving in low Earth orbit. So if they did collide, and some have, they collide with impact speeds that are measured in tens of kilometers a second. They shatter. They literally shatter, and they spread material in a multitude of differing orbits all around the planet. So if those things come into contact with your uh, weather satellites, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they just have the potential 
to literally destroy a satellite. Uh, and when I say destroy, I mean, you know, if you've got a bullet that passes through the, uh, the main onboard computer system at seven or eight kilometers a second, trust me, there's not much of that computer system left. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's the most benign situation. Um, you know, the space debris has a tendency of deorbiting because a lot of the material that we put up, we put in low Earth orbit. That's where the majority is. Not all, but the majority. And they are within a few hundred kilometers of the surface of the Earth. That is within reach of our atmosphere, which can uh, create friction as these satellites are moving through that rarefied atmosphere. Give it time. Sometimes it takes decades, but the material comes down. Think back to Skylab when Mm. it came down in Western Australia in 1979. The Mir space station approximately 10 years ago coming down in the South Pacific. Uh, And later this month, not this month, it's February, but in March, probably the uh, Chonggong space station from China will be uh, deorbiting as well. And and it will be deorbiting in an uncontrolled fashion. Paul, for those of us that might not remember what we uh, ate for dinner last week, what (laughs) happened when those... Sorry. <laughs> well, Skylab was, down. Was, was the largest of the early space stations. Uh, so it was enough to hold three people, uh, a little bit of a gym, a solar telescope, a living area. So it was mm-hmm. a sizable, you know, like two-bedroom house. Sure. And it, it came down and spread itself across a very large footprint in Western Australia in July of 1979. That was not planned. NASA had no control, really, of Skylab as it deorbited. It was so It was sufficiently close to the Earth uh, that as our atmosphere expanded during the time of solar maximum, the drag on Skylab increased dramatically and it deorbited quicker. It was supposed to go, they were supposed to save it with the space shuttle, but the space shuttle didn't fly until 1981, mm. missed by two years. Uh, so, you know, when these big things come down, if they're uncontrolled re-entries, then it can be problematic. You just don't know where they're going to come down. The Mir space station, the, uh, the Soviet Union, uh, sorry, Russia had control of that vehicle and they deorbited it deliberately into the South Pacific over ocean. But that's not always the case. And China is not in control of Chonggong 1. Well, you brought up China, and I know that uh, Chinese researchers right now are working on space lasers, and they're not the only ones. And that's to clear away some of this debris before it starts falling on us. Can you give us a little idea of what they're planning and, you know, if it's even possible? Well, it certainly is possible. I mean, if you pour enough money into anything at the moment, you probably can make science fiction science fact. Uh, And, you know, to clear away Earth orbital debris is becoming a really important thought from both NASA, the European Space Agency, as well as the Chinese Space Agency. Everybody has to work in this environment. So what China is currently working on, and they're only the latest group, uh, is basically a high-powered laser that will do one of two things, and it's not real clear which one they're focusing on. One is they slow the piece of space debris down. So you're basically focusing a laser on it, not to destroy it, but to slow it down. So it's like increasing the friction of the atmosphere through which the object is moving. But if you slow it down, you will deorbit it. And therefore, if you can do this in a controlled fashion, you can drop it in the South Pacific. Sure. Again, it's safe. Uh, now, of course, if you up the ante, up the power of the laser, then maybe you're talking about trying to vaporize it. But the problem with that is that if it's a big enough piece, you're not 
not going to vaporize it. You're going to shatter it into smaller pieces. And so you've really compounded the problem. So at the moment, I think the thought is more to try and slow these things down and let them re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. Most of it will burn up through atmospheric friction. What survives re-entry will uh, drop itself into the South Pacific. Well, whenever we talk to you about this stuff, I know, I mean, you can't, this is a gift to anybody that is into science fiction because the idea that we're talking about anything to do with lasers, it's a bonus. I'm sitting with two guys that are very excited listening to you. <laughs> I talk about it, Paul. Chris, I'm surprised you haven't piped in. I'm just so, I'm so into this. I'm just listening to it. We've got an early sort of tractor beam, but uh, a pushing beam. We're going to push. Beam. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Uh, and it, it makes the most sense. It's much better to try and deorbit this stuff. Most satellites are relatively flimsy, mm-hmm. and that means the Earth's reentry uh, will get rid of the problem for us. But you, know, you want to do it in a controlled fashion. You don't want to drop it over New York City. You don't want to drop it over Toronto. And most of the low Earth orbiting satellites are passing over the most populated areas of North America and Europe because that's where they want the satellites to be, beaming down signals for our cell phone towers and so on. Uh, the stuff that's in geostationary orbit is out you know, nearly 35,000 kilometers away. They're not a problem. They're never going to deorbit, and there's lots and lots of space out there for us to throw stuff. It's the stuff in low Earth orbit that is really problematic. Paul, when we talk about the uh, the you know pieces of the of the the rocket that's sort of floating around there, piece of the final stage of that rocket, that is there anything that you know SpaceX or Elon Musk seems to be revolutionizing the way that we reuse materials? Is there any hope that all those pieces can come back to Earth for reuse? In the future? Well, for, for the stuff that's already up there, the answer is no. That stuff is now history, and it really is junk. But you're absolutely right. Uh, SpaceX is actively trying to make every part of their rocket reusable, and that includes the second stage. Uh, they have not done a, an attempt at uh, bringing back the second stage yet. We are all familiar with the first stage coming back, landing on uh, you know, land or on sea drones and so on. The last launch, they tried uh, to grab the fairings that section that surrounds the satellite during ascent. They peel them off as they leave the Earth's atmosphere, and they've now got a boat called the Mr. Stephen that has a huge net. It looks like a big baseball mitt that's trying to catch these space fairings. Uh, The next step is to try and bring the second stage back. It's a much harder thing to do, but SpaceX actively wants to do it. Unfortunately, they're the only group out there that is anywhere near close to having the technology mature enough to make this a reality. Most of the other groups out there still are of the 1960s throwaway technology type mentality and they either leave it up there, they boost it into solar orbit or you know they bring it crashing back into the ocean. Well as you said Paul it comes all down to dollars and Elon Musk has a lot of dollars to, to play with. I really appreciate you joining us on the program as always Paul. My pleasure Kelly and you too Chris. Thank you Paul. Thanks so much. There's Paul Delaney, AM640's expert in astronomy and space exploration and a great guy. Works at the uh, part of the faculty of science at York University.